Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we continue our study of Romans 11, I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word, that you would change us through your sanctifying power, and that you might mold us and shape us into the child of God that you would have us be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn with me to the 11th chapter of Romans as we continue our study of this particular chapter as we progress through the book of Romans. And before I begin with our focal passage this morning, I would like to read the passage that I studied last week to put our focal passage in context. And that was verses 19 through 21. And let me also say before I read that, that Paul is dealing with the rejection of Christ by the Hebrew people. And if you look at Romans 11, verse 19, it reads, You will say that branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of the unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. And if you remember in those verses, I pointed out that what Paul was doing was writing to the Roman church that contained both Gentile and Jew, and he is warning the Gentile believer, don't be haughty, don't have spiritual pride because you've been grafted into the tree in most of the Hebrews, the vast majority of the Hebrews rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a guard against spiritual arrogance. It's a guard against spiritual pride. And I think that's valid for us today as we live in a world that is in societal decay. And as we look around, one of the responses could be is for us to look at a society in decay and for us to have spiritual pride and for us to be spiritually arrogant. The proper response is to praise God in his goodness that we've been saved. Which leads us to our focal passage this morning. Look with me in verses 22 through 24. It reads, Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fail, severity. But toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree. If you look at verse 22, verse 22 puts in context 
the rest of the verses that I just read. And we're going to spend a little bit more time next week talking about the future of the Hebrew people, of the Israelites. But today I want to focus primarily on verse 22. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail. Severity, but toward you, goodness. And what you see here in verse 22 is that Paul is dealing with extremes. He's dealing with the extremity of God's goodness. And then he's dealing with the extremity of God's severity. Polar opposites of one another, correct? God's goodness and his severity. And as he writes about God's goodness and severity, he's also talking about two different groups of people. The Gentiles who accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah in God's goodness. The severity in the Jews, from a majority standpoint, rejected Christ. From a Jewish standpoint, this shouldn't be a surprise. Because in Matthew 21... As Jesus is entering Jerusalem in his triumphal entry, as he's coming in as the Messiah and Savior of the world, as he's about to face the cross, he said this in 2142. Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you. Referring to the Jewish people. The kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? The severity of God. As Jesus prophesied that this would happen right before he faced the cross. So not only did Paul write about the severity of God for those who rejected Christ. He also mentions the goodness of God. And let me remind you that as we talk about the goodness of God, we're referring to the Gentile people being grafted into that tree. It's important that we keep the analogy going with the olive tree. And here he's referring to God's goodness. Well, how good is God? Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 as it relates to us being the Gentile people. And as Paul wrote the church at Ephesus in chapter 2, look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, 
having no hope in without God in the world. Let's stop right there. How good is God? He tells us that we were being Gentiles and we were strangers of the covenant of promise. And he said, we had no hope in without God in the world. Isn't that still the case for people who do not know Jesus Christ? No hope, no God. That's what happens to the unbeliever. They have no hope, no God, no peace. And God is so good that he gave his salvation to us. And in that we've been grafted into his tree so that we might be partakers of the covenant promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. But look at verse 13. In 12, you don't know God. In 13, you know God. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, who once were far off, having been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has been made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we have access by one spirit. To the Father. Now, let's put some context to this so you'll understand what's going on in verse 14 through 18. It says, Christ is our peace, in that Christ broke down the middle wall of separation. What does that mean? Well, if you were to go into the temple, there was the court of the Gentiles. You weren't allowed to go in with the Jews, there was a wall. Not only there was a wall, but there was enmity because we were pagans. And what Paul is writing the church at Ephesus in these words, he says, is that Christ broke down the wall. In other words, Jew and Gentile alike, our access to God is through Christ. It's the same way for any man. That we come to God through Christ. We have salvation through Christ. We have peace through Christ. We have reconciliation through Christ. It says that he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and those who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit and to the Father. How good is God? God is so good that you and I experience His grace, His mercy, and His forgiveness, and we don't even deserve it. His salvation is a gift. Our faith, the very faith that we acknowledge Him, is a gift. So Paul, in Romans 11, he talks about God's severity and rejection. He talks about His goodness But there's this one word that I want to spend some time together this morning studying. And it is the word consider. Let's put it all together so it makes sense. In Romans 11, 22. Therefore, 
Consider the goodness and severity of God. Consider the goodness and severity of God. In other words, you could say contemplate, right? Contemplate the severity and the goodness of God. Meditate on the severity and goodness of God. Throughout the Bible, we are told to look inward, to contemplate, to consider. And in fact, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 46, 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I'm God. And the 63rd Psalm, David wrote in verse 6, When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. And here, as we see, Paul tells us to consider. Consider, meditate, dwell upon. These are activities that have been forgotten about in our modern society. Been forgotten about. We live in a busy, busy world. I was in a restaurant the other day, sitting there eating by myself, and I looked across the table and the, at the table, and there were a mom and a dad and kids, and instead of conversing, they were all looking at their phone. I just really wanted to stand up and stomp on every one of them and then tell them to talk to one another. Of course, they'd just talk about how mean I was for stomping on their phone. We don't converse with each other. We don't meditate. We don't contemplate. We don't consider. But the Bible tells us to do these things, to be still, to meditate, to contemplate, to consider. And instead, what do we do? We are fed by the junk of the world. Fed junk, absolute junk. And it gets pushed in us through our phone, through the TV, through the radio, all of those things. And then then we say, oh, yeah, I got to read the Bible. And you read the Bible a little bit, but you're not meditating. You're not contemplating. And I would venture to say if you ask most Christians, what does it mean to meditate on the truths of God? They don't really understand what they should be doing. But that's what we're told to do. And here he says, consider, consider the goodness and the severity of God. In other words, you got to think about it, right? You got to think about it. In order to do that, you got to have a quiet time. Sometime you have to find a place in which you can think about these things to where you get by yourself and you consider. It may be on your sofa in the living room, it may be while you're driving in a car, it may be on a John Deere tractor, which works out really well for me. But get 
by yourself and consider the truth, but it has to be bathed in His Word. It has to be in His Word. It can't be about your personal thoughts and feelings. Consider His Word and His deeds. In other words, it has to be in context. In context. Because without the Word... You can convince yourself of anything that it's related to God's will. It has to be in his word. And here he tells us, consider the severity and the goodness of his word. Why is that important? Well, in relation to these verses, I'll tell you, it's very important. Because it says, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail, severity, but towards you, goodness, But there's a disclaimer, if, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise also you will be cut off. Now, as I was preparing for my sermon, I was looking at some commentaries and all of that. And I came across this article where the author went through great pains in his article. To say that this wasn't regarding salvation at all. This was just the blessings. That if you didn't continue in his goodness, you were just going to miss out on the blessings. Now, as far as the doctrine of this church and what we believe, yes, we do believe in once saved, always saved. But the key word there is once Once saved, always saved. We have examples all through the Bible where there's false professors. Once you're saved, you're saved. But there are people who profess that aren't saved. Christ even said at the end of times, people will say, Lord, Lord. And he'll tell them, depart from me for I never knew you. When you look at that, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. When I read those verses, I thought about John chapter 15. Turn with me there. John 15, starting in verse 1. And as we read these verses, think about being cut off. And there again also, think about these verses in the context of what we're reading in Romans 11 regarding the tree, the olive tree. Here... Christ is using the example of a vine. The analogy works the same. Christ said, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. You are Already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, 
and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciple. Let me point out a couple of things in those verses. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So should verse 22 surprise us when he says, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off? Same thing. It's a cliche, but it works really well in explaining the Christian life. No root, no fruit. No root, no fruit. If you're in the root, being Christ, what does Christ tell us in John? You're going to bear fruit. It's going to happen. It just occurs naturally. If you aren't abiding with Christ... In other words, if you don't know Christ, if you don't dwell in Christ, if Christ isn't your Savior, you can profess Christ, but you're not in the root. Speaking of root, let's go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, as Christ explains the parable of the seed and the sower. It says in verse 11 of Luke 8, Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And what does it say there? And these have no root. And these have no root who believe for a while And in time of temptation, fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word of God with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. No root, no fruit. Says it in Luke, says it in John, says it here in Romans 11, that we have to continue in His goodness. In other words, my friends, as I mentioned last week, we do not believe in a static salvation where we do some particular act depending upon what our denomination requires us to do. And we do that one thing and we carry it around in our pocket like a token and nothing else changes in life. And when you get to the turnstile of heaven, you put the coin in and shazam, you're in. That's not salvation. Salvation's abiding with Christ, continuing in His goodness. And what Paul is doing here with the Roman church is he is addressing Jews and Gentiles. And as you think about with the church, there's wheat and tares, aren't there? 
That's what God tells us. In his kingdoms, there's wheat and tares. In other words, there's believers and unbelievers. And he's saying, don't be haughty and continue in his goodness. I think it's interesting that Paul told Timothy the same thing. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, as you have the elder Paul giving young Timothy instructions in his ministry. And in verse 12, he says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Verse 15, what does it say? Meditate. It says, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. In other words, he's not saying that there's a static Christian life. He says that the Christian life is about growing. It's about progressing. It's about abiding in Christ. But look at verse 16. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine Continue. The exact same thing he tells the church of Rome in Romans chapter 11. Meditate, consider, verse 16, continue in them. For in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now we don't believe in a salvation by works. But we do believe that salvation works. In other words, that we've been transformed. And as we've been grafted into the tree in those covenant promises, we've been grafted in and we have the Lord Jesus Christ and we're abiding in Him. And as we abide, we don't bear fruit out of legalism. I've been in churches like that. I got to do this, I got to do that. No, it's a natural occurrence. It's a natural thing. I've got a pecan tree up at the farm. And I don't go out every year and I don't look at the pecan tree and I don't say, well, you know, you need to produce some pecans this year. The pecan tree naturally produces pecans. And then the squirrels eat them all. (laughs) A tree naturally bears fruit. And as believers, we could leave today... And you could say, well, the pastor told me i got to bear fruit, so I'm going to go out here and I'm going to bear fruit. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I tried that. It doesn't end well. It does not end well. If you want to live a life of legalism, it does not end well. What ends well? For you to meditate on the truth and goodness of God. For you to spend time in the richness of His Word. For you to attend fellowship with saints like you're doing this morning and as we do every Sunday and every Wednesday for you to gather together and study the Word of God. The fruit is a natural occurrence. If you're in the root, you're going to bear the fruit. It's contemplating studying the Word of God and it happens. It happens. It's a natural occurrence. 
It's part of our sanctification process. And then Christ tells us in John 15 that those that don't bear fruit, He takes away. And for those that bear fruit, He prunes so we can bear some more. As we walk through trial and temptation and rest in the power and the Word of God, we develop as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and we bear more fruit. It's the wonderful promise that we have in Scripture. And as I read from 1 Timothy 4, let me remind you that earlier in that chapter, in verse 6, as Paul looks back at his life, And as he knows that his time is near, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In other words, as he looks back and as he considers, as he contemplates his life, you know what Paul's saying? I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. Don't we all want that? Shouldn't we? As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we are commanded to abide in His truth, to meditate on His promises, to progress in the Lord Jesus Christ, shouldn't we all want to be able to say at the end of our life, I fought the fight. I've run the race. It should be our goal, it should be our aim, it should be our will to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ Jesus. And you will be satisfied at the end. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you for your truth. And I do pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be spiritually arrogant. We wouldn't have spiritual pride. But I pray, Lord, that we'd cling to Christ, that we would abide, and that we would know that by abiding, that the fruit that we should bear would be a natural occurrence only through the power of Christ. Lord, we pray that if someone's listening that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that they would accept Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.